What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Diabetics Doing Things. Today, you are going to listen to an episode that is the first in a series uh, that we are working on at Diabetics Doing Things as a part of our Diabetics Doing Things zine. This is the cover story from issue one featuring Charlotte Drury, U.S. Olympic team member in the 2020 Olympic Games. In addition to being diagnosed with diabetes three months prior to the Olympic trials before the delayed 2020 Tokyo Olympics, Charlotte is a 2021 U.S. trampoline silver medalist, 2019 bronze medalist, and in 2014, she became the first U.S. trampoline athlete to win the World Cup at the Minsk World Cup in Belarus. Uh, there are 5 million people in the U.S. who participate in gymnastics each year, and there's only 28 spots on the U.S. national team. So that's a 0.00056 chance that if you participate in gymnastics, that you can make the national team. So Charlotte is an exceptional athlete. We also are introducing for the first time correspondents for Diabetics Doing Things and Larkin Clark, our first correspondent who uh, is, is here with us on the episode. She is a journalist, filmmaker, and photographer who's lived with type 1 diabetes for 28 years. And she and I and Eritrea take us through this interview with Charlotte. And we wanted to get a chance to get together and talk about that before we dig into the episode. Thank you for the kind intro, Rob. It's so wonderful to be here with you all. This interview was super fun. Uh, and honestly, I think we all had high expectations uh, and obviously are fans of Charlotte, but I'm not speaking for myself here. I hope when I say that she like totally exceeded that in her ability to be vulnerable and relatable and just such an awesome presence and such an awesome person in this interview. A hundred percent. She said so many things during this interview that gave me chills, made me want to cry. We're so inspiring. Um, and we all agree that she's just wise beyond her years. Um, she's had diabetes for just about a year now. And, um, I learned a lot from talking to her. It was such a pleasure. I think it was really special for all of us to just learn from each other and really have so many different people with different milestones within their diabetes, right? Like all of us are experiencing a different amount of time of having diagnosed, and with Charlotte only being here for a year and just already being such a leader within the community, I think she is inspiring. And I, and I just feel so lucky to have been able to listen to this conversation and be here for it. It really was a privilege to be a part of. And I think one of the consistent themes throughout the interview that I found particularly relevant is how important it is to have friends with diabetes and how important it is to have a diabetes. And I know that there are many of our personal diabetes uh, who listen to the podcast and who are friends of the pod or, or past guests. And I just want to express again, gratitude to the community for, you know, going on seven years of telling stories of people living with diabetes. And uh, it really is uh, kind of profound in this moment. Like in, if the, the stats are correct, there's 250,000 people who have been diagnosed with diabetes since we started doing this. And Charlotte is one of those people. And it's just so cool to see the impact that someone who's only lived with diabetes for a short time can have on 65 years combined of lived experience between the three of us on this episode. So uh, I really hope you guys enjoy it. And it's the first of many and again, correspondent. So, you know, keep a listen and keep a lookout. We might have Larkin back uh, in future episodes as well. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We are telling the amazing stories of people with diabetes from all over the world. And today it's very different because we have a little bit of a co-host situation. And this is the first issue of the Diabetics Doing Things zine, which launched this year in 2022. Our first guest is 
I'm so excited. Like I'm like literally jumping out of my skin here because we have the first ever U.S. Olympic team member to join the podcast. Charlotte Jury, welcome to the show. Wow, what an intro. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. We are so excited to have you. Uh, and I also, I, I don't want to skip over an intro because we also have the first co-host uh, of the podcast uh, to, to come through uh, outside of diabetics doing things. Ms. Larkin Clark, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to be here with you and to interview you, Charlotte. Thanks so much for being here. So we've got a lot of people with diabetes. Eritrea is here with me as well. We've got people telling the stories of people with diabetes. We've got people with diabetes going above and beyond and living their lives amazingly. Uh, and we get to be all here today. If you had told me when I was 16 and I got diagnosed that this was going to happen, I would not have believed you. So let's just hit the ground running. Um, Charlotte, there are 5 million people every year that participate in gymnastics at some, in some form in the United States. And yet there's only 28 spots on the U S national team which makes it, I'm, I'm reading here from the statistics, a 0. 0.00056 chance that you can make the national team. So it's like way worse odds than making the NBA, which was my dream as a kid. We're, you know, like the cream of the crop elite of the elite. And, and then you throw type one diabetes on that. And you find Charlotte Drury there as a, a person who is uh, living exceptionally and living well with diabetes. Um, Talk to us a little bit about that. Like, what, like <laughs> how, did, how did you get into gymnastics? Like, what was your introduction to trampoline? I want to know a little bit more about your story there. Tell us about you. Wow. I've, I've never framed the national team and like making a national team or a world team in that way. And that sounds like really, really cool. Doesn't <laughs> um, it? So yeah. Thanks for that context. Um, but yeah, so I was diagnosed rather recently, actually. So it's barely been a year. Actually, it'll be a year on April 1st. So we're coming up on my anniversary. Um, but yeah, I've been a gymnast since I was three years old. I kept getting stuck in my neighbor's tree and my mom was like, she's going to break her neck. So she needs a productive outlet and she needs safety. Um, so she put me in a gymnastics class and the rest is kind of history with that. I always had all this energy as a kid and I loved flipping around and I always loved climbing things and flying through the air and that was really my favorite part of gymnastics too, was that feeling of flying and that feeling of like freedom and power and grace. Um, but when I was 13, I actually quit gymnastics and I kind of took a different path and started trampling instead. Um, I had no plans of starting trampling. I literally, again, mom coming in clutch with the, you need to do something. You have way too much energy. You can't just sit in the house all day. So she signed me up for trampoline class when I quit artistic gymnastics and I just remember my first day like bouncing and like I kept smiling like I knew I looked so goofy but like 13 year old me was so thrilled to like be there and like be jumping and it just felt so fun and I hadn't had fun in sport in a long time so trampling was kind of that like safe haven for me there um and then I got kind of good at it made the national team made the junior national team and kind of realized that oh shoot like maybe I can go to the Olympics for trampoline. <laughs> like maybe like quitting artistic gymnastics doesn't mean no more Olympic dream. It just kind of means a little bit of a reroute in a new sport. Um, so that dream kind of kicked into full gear again and then made the senior national team, world championships teams, uh, just kind of did the things that you do when you want to go to the Olympics. And then things like, things like winning the world cup, the winning gold, like and being the first <laughs> U S trampoline athlete to do that. You know, just, just yeah. little things like that. 
yeah that that was cool <laughs> um but yeah so I just kind of like did that I had a really really rocky career as a whole like things absolutely never not once have gone according to plan um but such is life I was a really competitive contender for the 2016 team and I actually ended up uh breaking my foot like right before Olympic trials there uh so I didn't make that team and I actually stepped away from sport for a couple of years uh and was like I'm never doing this again this is so brutal this is so hard you know putting yourself on the line for their you know, one shot at making a one person team because trampoline is a one person team uh, is a little bit brutal. So maybe I don't want to do this anymore. And then in 2018, I kind of got that itch to try again. And I kind of followed that passion and ended up bouncing again and ended up back on the national team and doing all this stuff. And then Olympic trials starts and then everything's postponed, pandemic hits. You know, now we have an extra year to just kind of sit tight, maintain and like, wait really and then in that year is kind of when I noticed the decline in my health kind of starting so that's kind of the spiel up until diagnosis <laughs> such an amazing story Charlotte um so as you mentioned you were diagnosed with type one just a couple of months before the trials for the delayed Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games can you tell us what the months were like that led up to your diagnosis? Like what, what were some of the things that you were experiencing and what were your initial thoughts after diagnosis given at the, the point that you were at in your career? I honestly, my first thought was like, wait, what? <laughs> That's not possible. Like I'm an athlete. I'm really healthy. I take care of myself like diabetes. I really had to learn a lot. I had no context of what type one diabetes was. Um, and then my second reaction was really relief because I finally had an explanation for everything that I've had been feeling for the last months or the last year, really, because those were really, really, really tough. And I struggled a lot and I chalked it up to pandemic stress. I chalked it up to mental health problems. I chalked it up to training by myself now and not relying on my teammates and not being like, externally as motivated because there's no competition like pending and all of those ways that I explained away the horribleness that I was feeling actually were validated because now I had a physical explanation for what was going on so when my doctor called me and she was like yeah no you need to come in immediately like your numbers are <laughs> out of control like we got to get you started on insulin right now I was overwhelmed and shocked and terrified but I was relieved Hmm. That's amazing that your doctor was able to call that out and um, you were able to start treatment right then. Were you at all familiar with type one diabetes or diabetes in general before your diagnosis? Like, did you notice that any of the symptoms were maybe diabetes or is this completely out of left field for you? So there's actually kind of a funny story with this one. I, so all elite athletes have to be in this international drug testing pool. And when WADA, we get drug right? tested, WADA, World Anti-Doping Association, and then the U.S. is USADA. So I'm part of USADA. And basically, they come and drug test you like at random at any given time during the year. They just like show up. They knock on your door. And if you're not expecting a visitor and you get that knock, you're like, oh, my God, they're here. <laughs> and you always have the same person. So me and Debbie, me and Debbie go way back. She's been my drug tester for like five years. And so Debbie shows up. 
And this is like October of 2020. So I'd been feeling really bad. And actually the day before she had come, I was in bed all day long because I was like throwing up and I was so sick. And I think it like, I don't know if that was diabetes related, but it probably was. (laughs) But so she shows up the next day and they take a urine sample and part of the like sample process is they have to measure the specific gravity of your urine, which is basically how much particulate is in it to make sure there's enough for them to drug test uh, on it. And my specific gravity, she like tested it. And she was like, Oh my God, this is so high. Like in 20 something years of being a drug tester, I have never seen a number this high. Like maybe, (laughs) maybe you should go to the doctor, but because I was throwing up the whole day before, I just kind of assumed that I was massively dehydrated and I brushed it off as, as we do. And I got drug tested again later, like right before national team camp in February. And it happened again. The numbers were super high. And she mentioned the word diabetes because it's common that when your body's not processing the sugar or you're not utilizing the sugar, you just pee it out. And so there was a ton of glucose in my pee. So that's what that was. So that was the only sort of like red flag um, hint that diabetes was the cause of what was going on. But again, I like, it just seemed so far-fetched that I couldn't internalize it enough to like think that it was true. And then the only other exposure that I had to type one diabetes is there was a, there is a tumbler on the U S national team. His name's Brandon Krasnetsky and he has type one. He's always had type one. He was diagnosed as a kid. And I just always saw him with his Dexcom and I really didn't know anything beyond surface level. Like, Oh, he has type one. He travels with us. He does all the same things. Like he's an amazing athlete, but that was it. So there was really nothing pointing to me being like, Hey, I think I might have type one diabetes. Like not at all. <laughs> I, I want to come, I want to come back to that though, because I, I think like what you were going to say as well, Larkin is like, how cool is it to have a peer like doing what you're doing? Like and have already like navigated a lot of those hurdles before we do that though. First of all, shout out USADA and WADA. I, nobody here knows this, but I started my career working for USA boxing and my job was to help the athletes coordinate their whereabouts with USADA and, uh, which can be very difficult when you're moving in and out of the national team. And like, you know, before you could text it, I'm sure there's an app now that you can submit it back in the day. It was like, you had to manually fill out a sheet and you literally would, I would text them like on a Friday, be like, I'm going out of town for the weekend. Please take this update. I'm going to be at this address. Like, Oh God, it was such a nightmare before they got their technology put together. It's, it's so funny. Like there's like so few people in the world who actually like know what difficulty that is. Uh, but it, it just brings me, it brings me joy. Shout out to all my athletes, uh, on the 2012 games with uh, USA boxing. They were, uh, they, they did their best. Uh, but cause you can only miss, like if they come there, if they come to your address and you're not there, uh, you can only miss like one of those or something like that. And or before it's like a positive yeah, you test, can, you can miss three whereabouts filing failures and then you're banned for four years. Yep. And that unfortunately yeah. happened to one of my good, no my good buddies. Yeah. It's uh, my buddy it's, Cam off Cam F awesome did not get to make his Olympic run in 2012 because of that. So oh. uh, serious stuff, serious stuff. So serious anyway, stuff. uh, fun little, that was a fun little fact. I want to go back Tip to it. the more, you know, yeah, well, this <laughs> little fun stuff. Um, you mentioned feeling a little bit of relief, uh, when you were diagnosed with something, uh, and, and it, the something being type one, 
Um, I have spoken a lot about when I was in the hospital and I got my first insulin drip, like IV, how much better I immediately felt. And I was, I told the the nurse, cause I'm so smart. I was like, Oh, whatever that was, just keep giving me that we're good. Um, <laughs> because I just felt instantly so much better. Um, and you know, you talked about the ups and downs in your training with injuries in the past, but like after you got some insulin and you got yourself feeling better, like how did that impact your training? Did, were you, were you just, did you feel just night and day difference right away or did, did it give you confidence? Like how, how did, what did that manifest itself like? Uh, oh my God. I, I felt like a new person, like a completely new person. I had been struggling so much in training and I was really, really kind of embarrassed by where my training was before finding out and getting treatment for type one. I couldn't do things that I was doing since I was 15 years old that were a walk in the park since I was a teenager. And as like an aging athlete, as they say, I was like, well, you just have passed your peak, you know, you know, things get harder as you get older. Maybe you're not trying hard enough. Maybe you're not working out enough. So I was really, truly beating myself up for that. And like, there were comments coming in, like, just, you know, maybe, maybe work out a little bit more, maybe add a couple more workouts or like the national team started to get really concerned because we had to send in like videos to get ready for no, cause we hadn't seen anybody in a year. So we hadn't, they didn't know where I was at. All I knew was that all I knew was that I was not where I needed to be. And I was fully convinced in January when the national team required that I send in a video of my practices almost every single day that one, that they were really worried because my performance was so bad. And two, I was like constantly thinking, I'm not going to make the team. Like, I'm not going to make it. If this is what I'm performing at, I'm not going to make the team. And like within, I want to say like a week and a half of being on insulin and being on like both the basal and bolus insulin, I literally felt like a new person. I was like, I, I was bouncing and I was like, oh, this is me. This is the athlete that I know. This is the athlete that I love being. Like I was bouncing. I got back up on the trampoline and like, I was just exploding out of the bed and I was going so much higher than I had been going in literally a year. And things were easy that were supposed to be easy and things that were impossibly difficult before were now a manageable level of difficult. And like somebody, one of my teammates asked, cause we were both working on like speeding up this one skill. It's called the Triffis. It's a triple front flip with a half turn. And I was barely making those around. I was like, it was scary. I was scared to do that skill because I had no power and I was flipping so slow and bouncing so low. And with starting insulin, he was like, I also didn't tell anybody at first that this had been going on. So all of a sudden my training just improved drastically for no reason. Um, in their eyes for no reason. And he's like, what are you doing? What's the technique? Like, how are you doing it? And I was like, bro, I have diabetes. <laughs> That's the secret. <laughs> Life hack. <laughs> yeah. I got chills. Anybody else get chills while you were telling that story? That was unbelievable. Uh, like when your body is working for you, like what you're capable of. And I can't imagine, especially with like the pandemic and like virtual coaching and like virtual high performance, mm -hmm. like check-ins, like the mental burden of like not being confident and feeling unfamiliar in your body that you've been like relied on for so long, like just the mental stress of that, I think, and, you know, having to balance that with performance and trying to make the, the team like that. I can't imagine 
like how difficult that was for you. Yeah, it was, it was tough. It was definitely really tough. The, the mental aspect is just as important as the physical aspect of training for the Olympics. And I think the mental aspect of dealing with the diagnosis is just as important as the physical aspect. And I wasn't, I mean, I got diagnosed and I had trials in three weeks. The Olympics were in three months. There wasn't enough time to sit and reflect and say, okay, what do I need? Where's my mental health? What's the check-in? It was truly like, go, 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 figure it out. Like figure it out faster than anybody else. Like you just have to do it. And I like, there was no time to relax and really take in the diagnosis. And I really only feel kind of that that has happened recently now. And it's with like life kind of calming down and slowing down a little bit that I am starting to process everything that's happened in the last year. And I'm starting to like fully appreciate the weight of everything that's happened. So that's been an interesting journey. <laughs> and no kidding. I mean, like as sort of like a time, time heals all things sort of right. Like at least giving mm -hmm. yourself space and time to, to reflect. And I think that's something that, I don't know, in, in the diabetes community, like we're so sometimes so quick to move forward, uh, without addressing, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, the difficult trauma and stress and change, drastic change that your body goes through, not just physically, but like you said, mentally, uh, and, you know, there's a reason that people with diabetes are three times as likely to, to suffer from mental health because we're balancing a lot of stuff in our head. Oh, no way. I didn't know that fact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah, we've got plenty of facts for you after the, after the call, we've got a lot of lived experience with diabetes on this call. So, uh, feel yeah. free, uh, any questions that you may have, we've I'm sure got answers. Oh my God. I have so many questions all the time. I, so like, I talk about it a lot now. Like I, I, diabetes has kind of been a big platform that I've kind of stepped into since making the team and having the diagnosis, but everybody I've talked to knows more than I do. So it's kind of tough. <laughs> like I'm still so new to it that I'm still learning. Like I'm pretty impressed with myself that I whipped out the words basil and bolus earlier without pausing. Like <laughs> you're a pro already. <laughs> And oh, I mean, also, and you are, you're outwardly and living out with your diabetes. Like it took me 10 years to do that. Um, and I, I, I think like little conversations here and there with people I was okay with, but you know, that was one of the things that I think attracted me to this, to you and the story so much is that right there at the beginning, you know, you were thrust into the spotlight of, and you know, people like us were cheering you on because of, you know, you were living, you raised your hand and say, Hey, I, I do have, I live with diabetes and I'm going through this. And I'm also a world-class gymnast, like at the highest level, competing at the highest level. And, you know, I, I don't know, I, I, what was that like for you? Like opening up online? And I know, I know this is question was kind of later in the interview, but what do you remember about like the, the process of opening yourself up to sharing your story externally? I remember in the beginning, really wanting to hold my cards close and keep the diagnosis to myself and figure it out. And I think that's kind of my innate instinct when anything sort of upsetting or traumatic happens is I really like hunker down and I rely on my very close circle of friends and family to get through it. And then it kind of felt like, well, I don't really have a choice. Like I wear my Dexcom on my arm and I'm going to the first Olympic trial and it's it's going to be right there for everybody to see. And 
it almost like the choice was kind of made for me, but I'm so happy that it was because I ended up connecting with Brandon, the Tumblr at that meet. And I hadn't posted about anything. Nobody knew that I had diabetes. We were like warming up and he like comes up to me. He's like, what the hell is on your arm? What is that? And I was like, <laughs> funny story. I actually have type one. And he's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. And he like basically started crying and he was like, oh my God, like it's such a, it's such a hard thing. I can't imagine what you're going through. And like, if you need anything, I'm here. If you have any questions, I'm here. Like I'll be on the floor all day. And then we like joked about where our numbers were at at that moment. And that was kind of like a really like light bulb moment where I was like, oh my God, the community, that's what I'm missing. I'm missing the people that get it. And connecting with him really felt good. Like I felt really seen and I felt really validated and I felt really supported. And so like, I made a little post on social media, just where our Dexcoms were showing. And so like, just the people that had already followed me, like knew it now. And to some people that meant a lot and to most people that don't have type one or don't know anyone with type one, it just was like, oh, okay. Like, I don't really know what that is, but sure. Like double, double thumbs up, go you. Um, and then after the last trial, I posted like the picture <laughs> where I was like under the arch at trials and there was balloons and confetti and I'm like pointing to my Dexcom. And I shared the story, like the full like story of what it was like the last three months of getting diagnosed and having that decline and now having that rebound and like making it and having that like pure relief of it ending positively. And people really responded well to that. And I got so many messages from people, people with themselves who have type one, but the messages that like really, really, really hit home were the parents that were messaging me. They were like, my kid, he's six years old. He has type one. He does gymnastics. I saw his post and he can't wait to get back to the gym. Or my daughter was just diagnosed. She's 13. And seeing you proudly wear your Dexcom like made her less embarrassed and less ashamed of it. And I was like, oh man, like I'm done for. Like I'm <laughs> sobbing going through my DMs. <laughs> and so, so like that, like it just really encouraged me to keep sharing about it. And I didn't realize that it was like a big deal, like what I had done or even that this community existed. Like, dude, diabetes community online is next level. Like we go hard. Rider dies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I but, totally, yeah. I totally feel you on the support of the diabetes community online. I mean, I, this is how I got involved with everybody here is just through, uh, through meeting people online. And thank you so much for being open about your experience because uh, like Rob, I also, it took me about 10 years to, to become more open about it. And it really does help people. And uh, thank you for using your platform and, and your story to help people feel less alone, because I think that that happens so often that we just feel so alone in our experience. And it just is so comforting to hear stories of other people, especially someone like you, who has such like a, you know, an impressive career and you're doing something so inspiring with your, your body daily. And, um, to know that you can do it shows everybody that we can do it too. I, I love, oh, <laughs> I, I love that. Thank you. Now I'm getting emotional. <laughs> I've got emotional hearing you talk about that. I'm just getting chills over here. Cause like you, it just goes, it reinforces what we talk about on this podcast a lot. Like when you meet somebody with diabetes, like a friend with diabetes is such a huge life hack. Like, and oh my God, uh, yes. Like, you get you got to have that like on your team. Uh, and to see the 
like ripple effects that that had, like you sharing, you guys both sharing your story, uh, the DMs that you're getting, like the people that you touch, like there's a lot of things in this world that we all have to do because we have to do them. Um, but when we get outside of ourselves and do a small thing, uh, man, it can really, really, really have a profound effect on people. And uh, I'm just so impressed that uh, what took me 10 years took you like 15 minutes. So <laughs> you're, you're my hero. You really are. Oh, thank you so much. But I mean, honestly, if like there, there is no right or wrong way to handle a diagnosis like this. If, if it takes time for you to hunker down and keep, keep your cards close, then, then that's what you need. And that's what it takes. And there, there is no good or bad way. Like if you aren't comfortable sharing it, that's okay. You know, it's totally okay. But if you do want to share it, there's a huge community out there waiting with open arms for you. A lot of advice. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Totally. Um, I wanted to go back for a second to uh, the fact that all of this at the the trials and everything in your diagnosis was happening a year ago, which was kind of a strange time in the pandemic, right? The, the vaccine was just coming out. Um, I'm sure you had a lot of different types of restrictions around you in training. Uh, with your diagnosis and learning that you were with type one now in a high risk group, did that impact at all your approach to uh, training and your path going forward? Did you have to take extra precautions? Uh, what was that experience like? Yeah, it was definitely very frightening. I definitely was just kind of scared all the time. Um, and I kind of felt that way before the diagnosis too. Like I, I, I took COVID very seriously because I was so scared one that I would get sick, but my biggest fear was that I would get sick and get somebody else sick and then somebody else sick. And I was already quite fearful of that. And me and my coach took all the precautions that we possibly could. Like when COVID first hit, I mean, the gym obviously shut down and the Olympics hadn't been postponed yet. So there was no choice. I still had to train. So we formed our own bubble. Like it was my family at home and Logan. And that was my entire bubble. And we kept it really safe. Like nobody else was allowed in the gym. And we would usually have maybe one other person in the gym just for safety, but it was really just kind of like avoid others at all costs. And then things kind of loosened up and the vaccine came out and I felt a lot better about that. And then the diagnosis came and I didn't really fully recognize that that meant that I was in a little bit more of a high risk group. Um, But I did know that I was I was, a, it was different now. I was very hyper aware of my body and very hyper aware of my health where I just kind of always wore a mask where in casual settings, like somebody might've taken it off or obsessively washed my hands and always had hand sanitizer. Um, but other than that, I think, you know, all the regulations in place kept travel as safe as possible and kept competitions as safe as possible. There was groups that were bubbled together and media didn't have like full access to everyone and things like that. So it was, it was definitely scary, but handleable. <laughs> That's great to hear that it was something that you could handle um, easily. And what was the response from your, your team to your diagnosis? Um, well, my, my coach's first response because I called him on April 1st when I found out and I was like, Hey, like, so everything's fine. Well, everything's sort of fine. Well, everything's not fine, but I'm fine. Sort of. 
And he's like, spit it out. Like, come on. <laughs> and I was like, I, I have type one diabetes. And I was like, radio silence for a second. He's like, what? Oh shit. Like, well, that explains that. Like that, that explains it. Cause we had had so many conversations of like him asking me like, what do you need? What, what can I do as your coach to help you keep pushing forward and to help you grow as an athlete, to help get you back to your peak performance? Never once, neither of us questioning that there was something actually physically wrong with me. Um, but it did explain a lot. So, I mean, we chatted for a little bit, hung up the phone, whatever he said, take the time you need. Like, I'm here. If you need anything, don't even bother. Like just do what, do whatever you need. You don't need to fill me in on every single step, but I'm here for you. Um, and then he calls me back like a minute and a half later. And he's like, so wait, hang on. This wasn't an April fool's joke, right? Like this isn't I was a hoping, joke. I was hoping you would say that. Cause like, <laughs> it's just a little too on the nose. <laughs> right. God, the universe, man. What are you going to do? But so he was so supportive. I mean, shock is everybody's first response. Uh, and the questions come in of like, what does that mean? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> then it's just kind of how can I support you? What do you need? That's really hard. Um, my parents had just moved out of state. So now I was living like I was the only one in my family living in California. Still, I live with my partner, thankfully. And that was just you know, the support system that I absolutely needed at that time. And the way that people showed up for me was awesome. Um, nobody judged. It wasn't a weird thing. It wasn't like, oh, can you still do this? It was really just like, okay, how can I help? That's incredible. And that's so important, mm-hmm. I feel like, and, and such a blessing oh to have a community and family and partner who are there to support you. Uh, whatever yeah, you need absolutely. Um, something that I've experienced personally in my life is how diabetes sometimes can affect your romantic relationships in ways you might not expect. Even just like the initial onboarding can be complicated, uh, the day-to-day highs and lows and mental health. Um, are you able to share anything from your experience on that front? Uh, I mean, yeah, definitely. It's like, you know, when you go through something, it's not just you going through it. It is you and all of your loved ones on this journey together, because that is the definition of a loved one. Like you are in this boat together. Um, and it, it can't go unnoticed, like the toll that it takes, especially on my immediate partner who I live with and do everything with. And it's such a scary time. And just the support that I received was like, like, I don't even have words. I, I would not have been able to do it without that support. I would have just crumbled. Absolutely. No matter, like, no matter how hard I tried, it was that support that I relied on. And I just remember like, I mean, from the get go, I did, we learned it together. Like we, like, so I got the call and she was like, the doctor was saying that you need to come in immediately. Um, but it's, you know, six, seven o'clock that everything's closed. So my office is going to call you. You're going to come in first thing in the morning. And so I'm like, okay, what does first thing in the morning mean? Like, she didn't give me a time. They're going to call me in the morning. So I woke up at like five in the morning, like, and just waited with my phone, like in bed. And like, then the phone rings and they're like, can you come in like 20 minutes? And I'm like, I live 30 minutes away, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I was like getting up and like pulling my clothes on. And my partner was like, do you want me to come with you? Like, I'll come with you. And I was like, it's really early. And she was just like, I don't care. Like, if you want me there, I'll come with you. I'll just sit in the car. I'll sit in the, I'll sit in the lobby. It's fine. Like you can decide later if you want me in there or not. And obviously like once we got there, I was so thankful that she was there and 
in the room with me and taking in all the information that I just simply could not take in in a moment of such shock and taking notes and asking questions that I didn't think about asking and just being my my partner in it like I didn't have to do it alone and we learned together and everything was an experiment and some things went really well and some things just did not but we were both there to pick up the pieces so I didn't have to do it alone and yeah but it definitely takes a toll like the stress like the stress she must have been constantly terrified like we are both learning it together and it's it's not an easy thing to manage it's not an easy thing to learn and as we're both learning it like oof, that is not a time I want to go back to <laughs> you the way you described you talking to your coach and you were like everything's fine but also not and I'm good <laughs> but I mean we asked to do this differently and it's like man if, if I've ever heard a more concise description of what diabetes does to your brain like that is totally <laughs> it and yeah you know, being able to live that with someone and like have the support there because it is a burden and like being able to reach across to somebody and share that, um, whether they have diabetes or not is, is so important. And, um, you know, shout out to all the, the caregivers out there. Uh, I know I, in mine in my own life, uh, and, and like you said, parents of, of kids with T1D and, and, and others like partners, uh, we see you guys and appreciate you to the max, uh, whether it's, bringing some snacks from the kitchen or just like bearing with us as we rage our way through a lower high, like that, you know, <laughs> you guys are the real MVPs out there. 24 seven Dexcom alarms. Anyone? Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, oh my no. God. <laughs> Literally horrible. My poor husband. Like, <laughs> same girl, same. I, like, uh, I, I gave my wife the, the way out. She doesn't have to follow me on my, uh, on my care link share. So so she yeah. has to deal with all no, my ups in the in the beginning it's it's like especially because I like didn't even know how like a dexcom worked and the calibration of a dexcom and like a, a pressure low and this that and the other like like oh my god I can't sleep on my stomach anymore I can't sleep on my arm anymore like just this aggressive horrible ear splitting alarm going off in the middle of the night like <laughs> come on <laughs> So funny. It's like on one hand, it's like, yeah, it's super important. But on the other, it sounds like the federal reserve banks being robbed. And it's just like, so wild. Um, And like, I totally get it. Like you are on your slowly, like creeping down to dying. So it's pretty important that like (laughs) you have the alarm going down to die. (laughs) Yeah. And you're going to tell my husband next anything. (laughs) That's what that sound is in case you're wondering. Right. It's like, that's my impending doom. My time, my, my time ticking down. Yeah. Literally. It's so ominous. Like, you know, the little like alert the top and it's like in red, it's like you have 20 minutes until an urgent low. And you're like, Oh, that's terrifying. (laughs) We'll tell you one random life hack that I stumbled across recently. Um, because I have a, a tandem that then tandem pump that vibrates and it used to wake up my husband at night, but we recently got a new mattress. We got a purple mattress, which is one where you, when you move, it doesn't affect your partner as much. And that actually has helped a lot with the vibrations from my pump, like he doesn't feel them anymore, which I guess is good and bad because if there's really a problem, like you might not wake up. Um, but I think it, it starts to make a loud noise after a while. If, if, uh, that's, that's the case, dude, right. huge definitely helped. Yeah. And uh, this podcast huge. isn't affiliated with purple mattress, but we not will, at all. we're very welcome to it. But we, they, could <laughs> we could be, we could be an opportunity. 
Um, okay, so let's let's shift back a little bit into uh, like the tactics and like training because especially like training up to the Olympic Games, you you've just been working your whole life and competing against like the whole world to try to to make it to this point. What what is a typical like training like leading up to a big event, and then like what is what is like a what does an event look like as well? Because uh, some of the feedback mm-hmm. that we've gotten from athletes in the past on the podcast, specifically like swimmers and track and field athletes, is that when you have multiple events in in a day or, or multiple heats, so to speak, it can be very difficult to kind of keep yourself in range and be ready to compete. So we'd love to hear your kind of thoughts on like what your typical training and and uh, event routines look like. Yeah, I mean everything uh, pretty much stayed the same like I've had my training plans and my competition plans in like on lock for the last like eight years um and we just kind of found the areas where we needed to slip in like diabetes friendly things um and those things were really just you know I mean my coach was there on the whole journey you know again we learned it together so it was from step one to the olympics that we just kind of laid some ground rules and it was like okay, so if you need to stop, you stop. Like, I don't care. I'm not pushing you through that. So you, you tell me you need a break. We're taking a break done. No questions asked. Um, and then, you know, you need to carry your juice on the floor. Well, we're not supposed to have like food and drink, like take your juice, have it, have the juice. Um, but other than that, yeah, it's just like, I would train in the mornings, uh, for a couple of hours. And then I would usually do some sort of like strength and conditioning after that. And then some recovery after that. Um, and I guess the way that diabetes kind of shaped that was just, I had to bring some more snacks. That was pretty much it. Like once I got things down, as long as I had my like bag of supplies, I felt like I was just kind of the same athlete as I'd always been with more interruptions. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so is it any different when you're not training, I guess, when you're like keeping in your diabetes toolkit, what's the difference there when you're maybe in your off season? (laughs) Oh, it's so much easier. (laughs) I think I literally, so like getting diagnosed in the middle of like the most stressful, difficult time period of my life, um, sucked. It it was like, okay, you're going to learn on a hard mode and now retiring or taking a step back and taking a break from sport. It's like, kind of getting back to like medium mode. <laughs> so that was like a huge blessing, but then now I've had to figure out like how to travel with it. Um, and that's changed things a lot. Uh, and just like exist now, like in a city, like I moved to New York city and I had to manage diabetes through that whole move, which was just another layer of things to think about and like switching pharmacies and finding a new endo and doing all of those things. So like that's the been stuff. a nightmare <laughs> and a half. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think just the main difference is like things just kind of got a lot easier, a lot less like unpredictability in my blood sugar throughout the day. Like if something's happening, I now know why it's happening versus back then I was just confused all the time. I never had an answer and never had an explanation and things were just confusing as it always is in the first three months of being a diabetic. It's, you have no explanation for anything and blood sugar is so finicky and it responds to a walk that I took last night. And then at 11 o'clock the next morning, I have a low and I'm like, geez, sus, Christ, like, come on. <laughs> but like, now I know those things and I've learned them like intuitively over the months and 
I, I feel a lot more prepared. I feel a lot more confident. I feel like I have a lot more trust in myself again. So I think training now would be a lot easier than it was eight months ago um, because it was very, very difficult. Just really, really new, right? As you are, like, as you're fitting diabetes into your life now, it's an everyday part of you. Are there any like skills or traits or habits that you think maybe you've acquired as a gymnast that have really come in handy for managing your diabetes? Oh, definitely. I think just my attention to detail and like my general approach to things of I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to figure it out now. And I'm going to figure it out to the best of my abilities. That is my like hyper-competitive personality of like, oh, I have diabetes. Well, I'm going to be the best diabetic you've ever seen. Like, <laughs> and like, yeah, that served me really well in the beginning, but now I've taken a lot more like laissez-faire approach where I'm like, okay, I know the rules. I know the guidelines. I'm really just going to do my best to stay inside of those. <laughs> I feel so seen. This is, this is so good. <laughs> Yeah. When she said it, I was like you and Rob two peas in a pod in a, in a champion pod over, overachieve, <laughs> overachieve mindset. Like, and then backing off a Best little bit. diabetics club because that's a thing. Right. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but, but no, but gymnastics there... just in general is yeah. Gymnastics just in general is a really good or sport. I should say in general is a really good, like launching pad for the rest of your life. Like you learn discipline, perseverance, how to advocate for yourself, what your body's telling you, like just different things like that, that have definitely served me in all areas, including diabetes, but just in life um, as a whole, really. So do you notice any parallels between gymnastics and maybe your mentality around the diagnosis itself? I think, yeah, yes. Honestly, towards the end of my career, like last year, kind of in the comeback, of after 2016 coming back to sport and I kept that 2016 mentality of push 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 like you're tired it doesn't matter the strongest like champions are made on the hard days you know no pain no gain you got to go for it like you got to be willing to do things that everybody else isn't willing to do that's how you become the best plot twist like I'm just going to skip to the end and like let some truth in here that's not true (laughs) the people that are the best and the people that rise to the top and are able to stay there, the people that know when to rest and the people that are aware of when they need to take a break. And I really took that into my life's approach after kind of 2018 didn't go so well. And I had to reevaluate in 2019 and just be like, what am I even doing here? Like, you know, we have one life, we have one body. I am going to take care of it. I'm going to care for it. And if that means having a rest day, that means having a rest day. And if that means calling my therapist, that means calling my therapist. Like, and that approach has helped me a lot because it kind of took the pressure off of being perfect in my diabetes management, where I had that a lot in the beginning of the first month, two months, three months, even like even up to the games, because there was just, it was such high stakes where I really did need it to be perfect. Um, But after the games and coming home and being like, okay, less than perfect is perfect. That is a great place to be. And that's felt really good because it used to be like a constant, constant thought in my head of like where my sugars were. Do I have my things? Like I was constantly thinking about it and now it's really taken like a backseat in my head. And I just have created the habits that I don't even need to think about anymore. And now I just live my life because I'm not thinking about managing my diabetes all the time. 
Totally. I'm so glad that you mentioned that about the perfectionism. I also dealt with that a lot early on um, growing up as a competitive dancer and a type A personality, just like push through, push through. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Gotta be perfect. Um, it's taken a long time. To- I'm glad we're all here for this support group today. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's taking a long time. We're going to make shirts that, but to the point of realizing the importance of self-care and the realization that diabetes is never perfect. And you, there is no such thing as perfect. Even if you see that unicorn 100, um, it's okay. As long as you're taking care of yourself and putting time in, um, and thinking about it sometimes and allowing yourself grace sometimes that's, what's totally important. Um, yeah. In addition to the um, the skills and traits that have come in handy, are there any specific resources or organizations that have been especially helpful in this first year with diabetes? Of course, beyond diabetics doing things, because obviously that sure is <laughs> number one resource. Appreciate that. <laughs> wow, what a plug. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like the first website that everybody stumbles on is the beyond type one article of like, so you were just diagnosed and like you read that article and like, you kind of have some information, but you're just like, so are so starving for more information. Um, I turned to YouTube a lot. Like I turned to people who were giving firsthand accounts of what it was like living with diabetes because they really took like the scientific jargon out of it. And I could comprehend what they were saying when, cause you know, like when you're in a doctor's office, you, you hear like 5% of what they're saying when you're stressed out. They, it's not making any sense. That's why you bring somebody with you because they're going to take it in. And I felt like it was the same thing for like months. Like I, I, I could not like take in this information that I was given in these like pamphlets and these packets and stuff. So hearing people that talk about it that are just like normal, like a conversation like this. Like I remember looking for podcasts and I remember looking for social media people and, and things like that. So those as a whole were really, really helpful. And then shout out Julie, who was there for like my, from the first like day I was diagnosed and she was a skier and she had type one. And I got connected to her through a really close friend of mine that I had texted. and was like, well, now we know why I've been struggling and training so much. Like I have diabetes. And she's like, no way. Like that. First of all, that's insane. But second of all, let me link you up with this person. She um, is an expert on type one. Like that's literally, she writes for type one content. And she was like my saving grace in those first couple of weeks because my endo is not accessible at like a moment's notice. I can't text my endo and be like, Hey, something's happening. What's happening. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. The house is on fire and I don't know where the hose is. Like, (laughs) like she was that person literally, literally. And so she was that person for me. And I'm like, literally so grateful for her I could oh god I mean I could have figured it out without her because we have to but like she made it so much easier and so she was so helpful diabetes to the rescue diabetes time literally diabetes prove diabetes right here on this on this podcast I know, I'm so excited I I was just at a conference yesterday or two days ago for for type one and I was like standing on stage and I was like I have met two other type 1 diabetics in real life before knowingly and now I'm in a room with like 500 of you this is crazy like and then as I said that like somebody's like low alarm went off and I was like I know that's <laughs> I know that's <laughs> I'm so glad that events are coming back like uh, that was 
my first experience too, like being in a room, Eritrea, I went to diabetes camp and I don't know, I'm not sure if you went to diabetes camp when you were younger, but that was something I missed out on because I was too type A and too cool and knew everything. Yeah. Um, I totally missed out of them because of that when I was younger, which now I'm like, why, why did I huge mistake huge mistake because it's great and you get to like normal be normal and hear somebody else's alarm and it's not yours but you know what they're going through like you can just shout them out or somebody will throw a juice box your direction and like just having that kind of community like diabetes like we're really digging into that right now but it was so overwhelming for me for the first time to be like i how many times have i felt so alone and then i can be in this room with 500 other people who Mm-hmm. are dealing with the same stuff uh, and they're dealing with it right now. And they can, and, you know, and they can, you know, each of us can learn from each other. And that is like truly the power of community. And it is kind of cool to just sit there and step back for a second and be like, man, all of these people know exactly what I'm talking about. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much power in that. So shout out mm-hmm. to all the diabetes who are listening to this podcast as well. You guys rule. Dude. Yes, absolutely. And like social media is so awesome in that way of like connecting just anyone from everywhere. Like, it's just, it's truly limitless of the amount of community that you can find. And I think the, at least for me, the initial urge when something like this happens is again, to shut down and to isolate and to keep things like, I just become a hyper control freak of all the things that I can control. And my circle would then be one of those things and kind of relaxing and reaching out and branching out and removing that barrier of isolation is so, so, so important because when you feel like you're the only person in the world going through something, that's some heavy shit. And that's, that's legit. That's real. And of course it feels like that. And while all of our experiences getting diagnosed are going to be different at the end of the day, there's a, there's a really deep level of empathy and understanding between other people that have been there or even gotten another chronic illness diagnosis, you know, it's, it's, it's scary. And it, and it's kind of a bond that you can't even describe. Yeah. It really does feel like you're meeting long lost family members. That's what it felt like. Yeah, truly. Yeah. With a diabetes community and met my first diabetic randomly outside of a concert. No, (laughs) Yeah, we had, we had matching insulin pumps. That was, that's how I met my first diabetic too. He was outside of a Chipotle. I was, uh, it's like, I'm I'm dating myself with this. It was like, you know, when Chipotle opened in your college town, they like would give away a a free burrito. And so of course you go there as many times as you could. Um, Mm -hmm. and my pump tubing was outside of my, was hanging out of my shorts and this like snowboard bro kind of rolled up. He's like, he walked by me and then he doubled did double take and came back and was like, me too, dude. And like, that was the first time I had like randomly met uh, a person with diabetes in public. And I don't know. I'll never forget. I will never forget it. It just was like the big, it was like such a small little thing, but I'll never forget it. So I can't, I I, was sorry. No, (laughs) I couldn't tell you guys. I couldn't tell you the first diabetic, but I want to tell you guys the last one. So I was on a plane and I went to the bathroom and the girl who came out of the bathroom was wearing a tandem pump. And she looked at me and I looked at her and I was like, we did the Spider-Man meme. And then she was like, we should totally <laughs> hang out or something. And I never saw yeah. her again. So if you hear yeah. this, <laughs> I think about you all the time. Misconnections. <laughs> Let's put it on Craigslist. Literally. I know. Exactly. <laughs> Literally the, the first person. Well, so two experiences like happened really quick. And those were the only two. Um, one, I was in the elevator of my apartment building and there was this guy standing there and he was wearing a tank top and he had Dexcom on his arm. And I did like a double take and I was like, no way. And I had a mouthful of food. It was, it was bad. It was not a pretty sight. And I had a mouthful of food. And so like, I pulled my sleeve up and I was like, 
fuck, look, me too. <laughs> and I was so new to it. So I like, like cornered him in the hallway and was like, so what about this? What about your, so how did you do this? And, and I was, oh my God, I was so excited. It's so embarrassing, but now we're Instagram friends. So like, now we're friends. <laughs> That's how it happens. That's how the magic yeah. happens. I literally Truly. saw a woman walking in my neighborhood the other day with a Dexcom on and I got so excited. And it was like, you know, like when dogs go for a walk and they see other dogs, <laughs> but then I got nervous and I was like, no, she's going to think I'm crazy. She can't see my, my Dexcom. Cause it's on my leg. Like, how do I start this conversation? But I still get really excited. Even 20 yeah. years. To I know. I always like <laughs> love having my decks come on invisible places because it's like, let your freak flag fly. Like, let's put it out there. Tell me, like, I want to see, I want to connect with people. And like, it's such like a, like dead ringer, like me, I'm here. I have diabetes. Look, like talk to me. <laughs> it's such a, if you know, you know, type thing where like, you know, you, just you can, know, you know, you can just like lock eyes with someone, even if they're in the middle of something be like, yeah, I see you dude. Like, uh, mm-hmm. like this, it's, it's all good. Or like a quick fist bump or uh, kids do like the pump bump. Well, the pre pre pandemic, they were like bump your pumps together or whatever, uh, and, like, <laughs> on the tubing. Anyway, that was a, I think I learned a diabetes camp and I was all about, I was a big, I was big on the pump bump. Bring back Cute. the pump bump. Bring it back. <laughs> Hashtag bring back the pump bump. <laughs> So Charlotte, we also know that you are, in addition to being a gymnast, a photographer and creative, I would love to hear more about that part of your work and what's next there. Yeah. So my whole life, I have had photography as a hobby. I like just really gravitated towards it as a kid and like saved up and bought my first camera when I was like 15 and has always like just loved it. Um, and then always kind of thought it was too good of a thing to be a career. Like it almost sounded too good. Like, you know, when something's like, that can't be real. That's like, that's not a possibility, but it, it totally is. And it wasn't until recently where I was like, oh no, I can actually make a career out of this. And I can use photography as the like vessel for all of the other important things in my life that I want to do, which is travel and meet people and tell stories and connect, um, with so many more people than you would have ever been able to without a camera. Um, so that's kind of my approach to photography. I don't really have like a specialty niche. It's kind of just travel lifestyle, you know, creating things that I see on the way and using it as a way to have really cool experiences. What I've seen on your Instagram so far is beautiful. So I'm excited to see what else you shoot in the coming years. <laughs> Thank you. That means so much. You are such a brilliant photographer. So that really means so much. Thank you so much. I love a compliment circle. <laughs> so good. Oh, I love it. Oh, that's so nice of you to say. That means a lot to me too. Um, do you have any favorite cameras to shoot on? Or um, I saw that you also shoot some film. Can you tell us a I little do. bit about that? I do. I uh, Back in the day, before I actually bought my like fancy digital, like my neighbor's son had like a bag of film cameras and gear and stuff that he like left at home and he went to college and my neighbor was like I know you like photography do you want to like play with these and then I just never gave them back so <laughs> don't Hopefully tell my neighbor but I still have them <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah no so I have a, like a Minolta SRT 201 film camera and then I have my like little point and shoot film camera um, and then I grew up like stealing the family's rebel, like Canon rebel. 
and it turned from the family's rebel to Charlotte's rebel. Um, <laughs> and then bought another Canon. That was like my 16. I saved up. I, I've got my like big girl camera. And then now I actually shoot Sony. So I'm really big into Sony. I love Sony's Sony's okay. line. Yeah. I also started as a cat Canon rebel girl. Um, Didn't we all? Date. I know. Yeah. It's where any <laughs> aspiring photographers out there, that's good, solid one to start with. Put your hands on a rebel. You can do a lot worse than a rebel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Our I house mean, is honestly, divided. today, like I think a phone is better than a rebel. <laughs> the bet, what do they say? Like the best camera is the one in your hand, right? Yeah. Truly. Um, but we are a house divided. I'm, I'm a Fuji shooter and my wife is a Sony shooter. So, you know. Mm file formats and all and lenses. My, my, endo, my endo is a uh, Fuji shooter, like diehard. We had this conversation at my last appointment. <laughs> we love a multifaceted endo. Yeah. We love that. Yeah. We do. We truly do. Shout out Dr. Siegel. <laughs> nice. Um, in terms of career, what's next for you? Um, in addition to pursuing photography, um, has your diabetes diagnosis changed your career and personal goals at all? Or has, has it encouraged you even more to, to pursue, pursue certain elements of your career? Yeah, I think it's really kind of encouraged me to kind of have a more double faceted career. So there is the career that I have always been dreaming of, and that's the passionate creative side of my life. And then there is the career now that takes me past sport and into this diabetes community. Um, so as far as photography and traveling and journalism goes, it's, I've always wanted to do the craziest things. I've always wanted to use photography as a way to get me in places that I would never be otherwise. Um, and diabetes definitely in the beginning, I was like, well, I can't do that, I guess. Like, I guess that's lost. I'm going to have to find something new. Like I can't, I just, it felt so overwhelming. And now taking little trips and then bigger trips and then a little bit bigger of a trip. And I'm like, no, I, I can do this. Like, this is totally possible. I just need to have all of the gear. I just need the tool. It's not going to hold me back from living that life. Um, and then on the other side of things of, I really do want to stay involved in the diabetes community. And I've started doing some speaking engagements and speaking events where I've been able to connect with other diabetics on, on mass and, that has been so wonderful and so impactful and it just truly fills me up as a human. Um, so I really am going to continue doing that and connecting with people on that side of things through social media or from conferences or like I'm speaking at a, um, like a pharmacy club at a university. Like, so just connecting with people on every scale at every level, like selfishly, I love meeting other diabetics and talking to other diabetics and then I just think it's a really good way to give back to the community that has literally propped me up through this entire year. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's all very confusing though. Like I just moved to New York city and I'm like, what am I going to do with my life? I have this crisis like at least once a day. <laughs> That's good. It's normal. Normalize, yeah. cri normalize a daily crisis. <laughs> it's an ongoing crisis. Especially if you're Truly. creative, like this is, you're going to, you're going to run into stuff. that's like, Oh, I don't know if this is me anymore. Oh wait, no, yes, it is. Uh, okay. Here we go. No, like exactly. And coming from sport, which is so regimented and so like. Two weeks in three weeks in four in two months, like there's literally like, there's a schedule and then you have your like control freak to the max. I would plan everything out to like the number of turns I was going to take in that day. Like 
and now I'm in this like creative lifestyle where I'll have like a week at a time where I like don't really have to do anything and I'm like I'm cheating I'm cheating there's stuff I'm not doing something like (laughs) it's really kind of great but it's also a little bit anxiety inducing (laughs) I feel you 100% I think like you know one of the I don't know. I kind of believe life comes in phases, like learn, uh, you know, in careers, especially is like learn, earn, return. If you like wanted to make it like nice and neat and marketing mm-hmm. and rhyming, <laughs> but like, when I think rhyme. of like the return aspect, even outside of diabetes, I think of athletes and exactly like you said, where you have months, years, you know, decades of your life where there are people in place to help you succeed and there are frameworks and there's space and there's people whose literal job it is for you to perform or for you to go to class mm-hmm. or for you to, you know, achieve your goals. And then at some point for everybody that ends and uh, whether you're at the highest level of sport, like in, like in the Olympic games or representing your country, or you just, uh, you know, finish your senior year of high school or whatever the case may be, you, you kind of, that next step is open and there's not all of those kind of guardrails of those people helping you. And, uh, I really have a heart for athletes in that phase. And, you know, I think that that's something that I'm, uh, hope to in the coming years, like really dig into helping those people and like give them a little bit of structure and like help them with that empty time to fill it with things that are good for them and eliminate some of that anxiety and kind of wondering if they fit because it's sometimes the longer you play a sport outside of like a traditional path, it can be very difficult for you to like go into the workforce. People are like, well, explain the gap in your resume. And it's like, oh, well, sorry. I was just competing for my country in the Olympics and I didn't have time. Yeah, to work, literally, you know? um, literally. And there was always so much pressure in like knowing that that day was always going to come when I wasn't going to do sport anymore. And to be honest, I didn't recognize that that day was going to come until after my first Olympic like quad um, because I was so singularly focused on, you know, April 8th, 2016, like my life was planned until that day. And then April 9th rolls around and I'm sitting there, not at the Olympics. Like what? Like the Mm. sun came up, this day is here. I I remember being like fully sitting in shock and being like, this isn't real life. Like, but it is your real life. And I really like what you said before of like, there's a time for everything. And that's kind of been my mantra like recently is there is a season for everything you know, things will come and things will go. And that is life. And that is such a good thing. And I think as humans, or at least for myself, I have this innate need to hold on to what I have right now and hold on for dear life because I'm so scared of change and change is so uncomfortable that kind of just reminding myself that, you know, spring will come, winter will come. And we are going to go through these fluctuations, which is immensely comforting when you are in the middle of winter metaphorically and actually in the middle of winter, knowing that spring will come because there is a season for everything and change is inevitable, which is a wonderful thing when you frame it like that and not quite so scary. (laughs) I couldn't have said it better. I, uh, those life is seasonal, right. And you're going to go through those Mm -hmm. high and low moments. And I think that's very similar in diabetes. Like you're going to have great days and you're going to have terrible, awful days. And, just knowing that that's not a reflection on you as a person. Uh, it just sort of is the mm-hmm. reality. Uh, I read this book called 4,000 Weeks uh, very recently, which is the the average human lifespan is 4,000 weeks. Whoa. And, and when you think about that, 
you know, sometimes the most important thing you might do is just have a good conversation with somebody like we're doing today, something that can connect with someone somewhere who's experiencing burnout, who's in a winter of their life, who's wondering how in the world the sun came up this morning because I thought it was all over yesterday, uh, is, is the most important thing that you can do in that moment. And that comes from a very, uh, very much in recovery overachiever. So, uh, like I think <laughs> we are reformed uh, overachievers. I am. Uh, yeah. I, every day I have to remind myself of that, but, um, kind of in that, in that same, uh, vein, like you've been so giving of us with your time today and like just amazing insight. You're, you're well wise beyond your years. And I'm a huge fan, but like for, for, do you have any advice yet for people who are either newly diagnosed, uh, or athletes who are living with diabetes or, any advice that you'd give yourself looking back almost one year from, from today? Oh, I mean, okay. So when I was first diagnosed, I literally wanted to punch everyone in the face that told me this, but every person, it gets better. God, I wanted to punch them so bad. <laughs> I was like, I, yeah, it's probably going to get better because it has to, but right now it fucking sucks like it sucks. And so if you are newly diagnosed and you are just so lost and so confused and so in shock and unable to even like I was take in any sort of information, if you're going to take in one thing, that's okay. Just one thing every day, one thing new, this is all an experiment. You are now doing a job that nobody is ever going to do better than you or worse than you, because it is your body and you are managing this. And we are always all just doing the best that we can, you're going to get there. You just have to wait it out. So that's what I would say. And I would punch myself in the face for saying that a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we've all man. I, I, on one hand, I thought that's, that's so perfect. and so poetic. And on the other hand, yeah, I've been there. I've been so angry. God, so I was so mad. I was so mad. Oh, the worst. I also had the same experience. I think it's like any response to like trauma or grief is it will get better when somebody tells you that and you are in the pits of it oh my god the anger like this this burning desire for me to scream at you like no it won't because it doesn't feel like it ever will like yeah that's 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 a real thing happened to me after 2016 too the worst though is when people were like oh this will make you stronger god <laughs> if you want to know like 101 what not to say to somebody going through something this will make you stronger is probably the top of the list right next to like, it's not even that bad. <laughs> oh, wow. That it's not even that bad as that's, that's bad. That's really yikes. bad. Yeah. I've also yikes. had the same feelings about people saying things to me like that over the years. And, you know, it, it is something where you go through cycles. Like you said, I loved that metaphor that you gave of the seasons where you really do go through those cycles of being like, this really fucking sucks so badly. And sometimes yeah. that cycle comes weekly for a while. And sometimes, yes. weekly, and sometimes you'll go like a year or something. And you're like, Oh, this is, it's not so bad. But, um, I wish somebody had said those exact words that you just said to me when I was first diagnosed, because you said it so eloquently. Um, I, I think too, like, like what you said, Larkin, it's a cycle of grief. That's the reason they call that. And just because you make it through one low moment, there's going to be more coming. It's a cycle and it, and it continues to happen. And, and just being aware of that and recognizing that it's not a reflection on you. And, and I think what you said, I totally agree, Larkin. It was Charlotte's 
so succinctly said like, no one else has ever lived in your body with diabetes. So there's nothing to compare yourself to. Um, mm-hmm. and you, you know, your good days and bad days are yours alone. And, uh, that, that can be celebrated. And I think ultimately like this call even could not have happened if any of us were born at any other time in history, we'd all be dead. Um, what a happy accident. Like what a, what a happy, what a happy accident. Here he goes. Yeah. <laughs> Like what a dumb, <laughs> co- what a dumb cosmic mistake that we're all get to be alive today. Bit. Like how cool is that? Pretty cool. Uh, cool. Yeah. It's so great. Th- that literally I've been so hung up on this whole like notion of change and how, cause probably because I'm in such a big transitional period of my life right now, but you know, our Lord and savior, Mary Oliver, like there's this one love line her. in one of her poems. Oh my God. I literally love her to death. Like any any human in history that I want to have dinner with, it's Mary freaking Oliver. Invite um, me, please. Yeah, done. <laughs> done. It's a party. Um, she says this one line and she combines like two words that are just I've never heard in a sentence together. And the poem ends with all that and all that glorious temporary stuff. And like glorious and temporary, like wonderful and fleeting. You never hear that together in these in that context of when things are good, when things are great, even like the fact that it's temporary is what makes it so awesome to have in that moment. And even if it's a negative thing, even if it's a bad thing, like it's still gloriously temporary. So it's like, you can take that line and do whatever you want with it, which is the beauty of poetry, but yeah, I'll have to find the name of the poem and I'll I'll send it to you guys, but it's very good. It's a hero's journey, right? Uh, mm. In order to know what the highs are like, you have to have the lows to compare it mm. to. And uh, yeah. things end. And that doesn't have to be always sad, even though sometimes it is, but it makes it worth it. And choosing mm-hmm. something or someone means foregoing everything else. And that also makes it special and, and powerful. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, mm-hmm. I'm just. I'm really, this has been great. Um, okay. I'm moving into the lightning round before we, cause we could just talk about this all day. I got a feeling this truly, this I, like I had to a, stop myself from like rambling. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we, like what we've all just been very aligned today. I'm very, I'm so grateful for this time. I feel like literally a hundred times better than when I got on this zoom. Uh, oh, I'm so, so I glad. thank this you. This is a great group. You, you guys that. are, you guys are awesome. So are you. I agree. This is fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. Um, but it's not over yet. Yeah, we, we have, have a lightning round. A lightning, lightning round. round. <laughs> okay, Charlotte, what is your favorite trampoline move and why? My favorite trampoline move is a double layout, which is a double flipping backflip in a laid out straight position. Um, and it is my favorite because you only have to do work on the jump and then you launch yourself into the air and you fling and you fly for two flips and you don't have to do anything else. No big deal. No big Incredible. deal. <laughs> Just a regular so Tuesday. Much fun. Awesome. <laughs> um, okay. Next question. What is your proudest moment since being diagnosed? Oh, uh, proudest moment would be getting messages from kids as parents definitely is being able to connect with with the parents going through this love that Uh, okay favorite pre-workout snack apples lame i know boring but apples a non-dose for apple that was my like that's what i figured out worked for me was just 
eating an apple and not dosing for it before a four hour practice <laughs> or four hour workout. We love an apple plus like just eating it, like, you know, fiber burning the calories, like just so nice. A non-dose for apple. A, a morally mm. neutral thing too. Apples. Oh, easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't have hot takes about apples. Sorry. Uh, is that <laughs> apple a day thing, right? Like, there you go. Apple a day keeps the doctor away. Keeps the endo away. So, so we have, we, we have this one. <laughs> okay. Hit me lightning round again. Uh, so we got okay. this one. Uh, favorite diabetes friendly workout gear. I know you don't wear a pump yet, uh, in, or if that's in mm-hmm. your journey, but if you have one, like what do you have your favorite diabetes friendly workout gear? Um, probably fanny pack, like a runner's fanny pack because it carries yes. my sugar and my phone Incredible. and doesn't like bang against me when I run. I, I'm a big fanny pack advocate. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm I, an advocate I, of the fanny pack. All right here. So we're starting a club and instead of t-shirts, we're going to have fanny packs. Sounds great. Co-sign, fully signed. Count me, me in. Um, okay, so in your fanny pack, what's your favorite treatment for your lows? Nerds. Or I love nerds. Favorite. I love nerds. I freaking love nerds. You want to know the best part about being diabetic is de-villainizing candy. Candy is now a medical yes. necessity for me and mm-hmm. for my entire life like i have struggled with disordered eating from sports and this that and the other from being a teenager growing up in today's world like god going to the candy aisle and being like oh god what am i going to get today like <laughs> i recently got back into jelly beans and they're perfect because they're 1 gram of carb per bean so oh no way easy calculation the one from trader joe's at least are oh that's god. my uh I'm gummy bears. And the reason is because it's two carbs per bear. So again, just keeping the math real simple, (laughs) simple math. That's the key. I don't even do the math at this point. I just like grab a handful and hope for the best. They have nerd gummy clusters now. Those are the ones I'm talking about. They're so good. They're so They're amazing. Oh my God. And it's 17, 17 carbs for 19 pieces. Oh, so, so almost a perfect. We have so much one. knowledge. Yeah, nice. Incredible. Nice. I haven't tried those. I'm adding them to my list. Thank you. I mean, you have to. They're so good. Plus the nerds have like that specific type of sugar already. That's like super fast uptake. So they're mm-hmm. perfect for like really bad lows. Mm-hmm. Totally. Or so I've been told. I just really like nerds. <laughs> um, okay. Um, yeah. Erica, oh, there it is. There's the rope. The rope. I can, I can go again. <laughs> Um, okay, Charlotte. So we've got your candy. So what is the diabetes tech or app that you could never live without? Uh, the Dexcom app Mm. for all that it is. And it it literally just helps me so much. And then I actually really like to link my Dexcom app to SugarMate, which is another awesome app. SugarMate is awesome. That, that as a newly diagnosed, I wish I had known about is that app in its existence because it helps it helped me so much with training because it was like the pre trend lines that you can set up like in advance. And then like on your Apple watch, it doesn't just give you your number, but it gives you your like last number and like how far off you were from that last number. And like, so at a glance, that app is so, 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 so helpful. Did you know you can pair it to your Alexa at home? So like, if you have the screen, it'll, so the way we have it set up at our house is to do it every like three hours. And so randomly, and I hate it, but it is helpful. <laughs> Randomly, Alexa will be like, your blood sugar is blah, blah, blah. And Isn't that yeah, so crazy. But it's wow. the Sugar Mate app that does that. Yeah. So it's cool. Wow. You can pair it. So yeah. That's really cool. I actually just got an Alexa. It should be here today. There wow. you go. 
the more, the you, more know. you diabetes. <laughs> okay, last um, question. Um, yes. If you could eat anything with reckless abandon and not have to worry about counting carbs or dosing insulin or impact on blood sugars, what are you picking? Sushi. I, for some reason, sushi is my nemesis. It's and tough. like, it's I truly rice. believe everybody, everybody needs a nemesis in their life. It's healthy. It's good for you. But like, I love sushi and you would think it would be a really good thing, but it's the mirin in the rice. I just learned is like literally sugar water. So I was like, obviously that's not it's, a good thing. It's tough. <laughs> There's sugar sushi. water? Yeah, that makes it sticky. Like the sticky rice, stickiness is sugar. Yeah, I didn't know. Now <laughs> you know. That's, that's why like when you, uh, I don't know. Well, what's your favorite kind of sushi though too? What do you, what do you like? I literally like just like sushi, like the little rice with like the fish hat. Same. Yeah. I'm a big yeah. sashimi guy and my wife is <laughs> my wife's favorite sushi ingredient. I'm putting her on blast here is mayonnaise basically. So she loves like rolls and you know, that's oh, making fun yeah, of her yeah, a little yeah. bit, but she loves rolls and like avocado and you know, all that stuff. But I'm a big fish. Oh, that's guy. okay. My girlfriend's a California roll. Like there you go. Through. I love a California if she was an roll. item. It'd be a California roll. California girl. <laughs> Love that California <laughs> roll. Hey, and that's classic too. That's like, you know, California roll. Mm, excellent. But, but the good thing about the California roll is that it does have that extra fat in it. So it, it helps yeah. to, to elongate the, the, the impact of the, the carbs or rather like, you know, delay it a little bit. Yeah. Fats yeah, and fiber, baby. That's mm-hmm. that help, helps those sugars. Shout out to fat, shout out fat, shout out fiber y'all. Thanks for, thanks for listening. To period. <laughs> period. Yep. Period. Yep. Period. Uh, Charlotte, I cannot tell you how enjoyable this has been for me. And I think for everybody else, uh, you are an inspiration. You're an amazing person. And I'm so glad that uh, we had time to connect with you today and that you've been a part of this and, uh, cannot wait for people to hear this interview and read this interview and see this interview in print. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. And I just wanted to thank you and, and really just express our gratitude from all of us, uh, that you were so giving of your time today. Uh, and you're our hero. We just, we're like big fans, uh, all of us over here. <laughs> Wow. Thank you so much. This has honestly been such a delight. Like this was so fun. Like I want to do this round table again, just like with drinks over zoom. (laughs) Let's make it happen. Anytime. (laughs) 